Welcome to Beholder to No One, a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm your host, Nikki, aka the Dragon Queen, and with me today are my guests, James and Kyle. Welcome back. Uh, today we're going to talk about session zero and why it's a good thing to have before you start your game. Um, now, I asked James and Kyle if they ever participated in a session zero prior to the podcast starting, and both of you said yes. So give me your thoughts on what you thought about session zeros and whatever to me, to me a session zero is almost a must nowadays with all the new rollings and homebrews or anything that can happen uh i think a session zero between a player players and the dm is a must so that you know the expectations of what the dm wants and what the player wants to get out of the game I can agree with that. Um, the first couple of times we used it, I found that our characters worked better together. And the game went a lot smoother than when we didn't have one. Kyle, what's your thought on it? Oh, for sure. Uh, I think being able to get um, everything out on the table, everything known uh, from the DM's perspective, but then to have all the players um, to have the ability to talk together and to have any kind of uh, unique game elements between characters or be able to do that as a group, um, it lends itself towards, I think, the group dynamics before you're even technically a group. So... For those who haven't heard of what a session zero is, um, it's basically a you get together with your party before you even start your campaign, and you just talk with your DM about your characters, about the gameplay, about the rules, and you find the best way for you all to work together. Now, rules are an important one to go over, um, as well as gameplay style, but for rules, while... 5th edition and all the editions have their own set guidelines. There are plenty of homebrew rules that people use that need to be made aware of at the very beginning of the game so that everybody is on the same page. For example, flanking or um, natural 20s and uh, natural fails or ones on everything versus just action or attacks and spells. What are some of the rules that you've learned that were unique in your game plays before? Well, uh, I can say for mine, we're about to start a game with a new dynamic uh, that includes in combat, <clears throat> where you can chain uh, combat strikes with other players. Uh, so, like, if you know, some player wants to throw an object and another player wants to hit it into the bad guy there's a there's a way that we have decided we're going to try to between the dice and the role play uh do the combat effects uh where you can involve more than one player per that's pretty interesting james do you have any um, not really. I mean, I've never really had DMs use homebrew rules before. Uh, I've had them do where uh, the natural ones and uh, natural 20s are either a critical fail or a, a critical success on uh, just about everything, not just in combat. Yeah, that's one I like to use personally, just for flavor. Um, I've had some... Pl I didn't even realize it was a, a non-roll until I had it pointed out to me that they didn't think it was fair. Uh, the other one, evidently flanking, is not technically in 5th edition. It's a DM discretion rule, where in 3.5, flanking was a thing, but it's handled, it was handled differently, obviously, in the original, or in the other version. Um, and 3.5 was just plus 2 to your attack, and 
5th edition, it gives you advantage, so not all DMs use it. Um, for gameplay, there are some things that you need to cover for that. There could be how strict of rules are you going to have? What's the law system of this world? If you mention gods, are you going to be banished or are you going to have to keep track of your rations? Are you going to have to keep track of your water and your bolts and arrows? So a lot of that is also covered in session zeros. Um, in stricter games that I've ran and I've played in, a lot of that was mandatory and if you made a comment, even jokingly, then it was taken seriously if you didn't specify that you were out of character beforehand. Um, what are some rules that you really liked and really didn't like at your table from gameplay? Uh, I, I like uh, where you have to track ammunition. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable to to not have to track it. I mean, you're eventually going to run out of ammo. And that should be understood. Unless you're my current ranger who just bought 202 arrows. She's going to have arrows forever. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's not a... It's not a television show. You're not going to have infinite ammo. But then, at the same time, I mean, uh, with fighters and stuff using swords and stuff, it's going to happen. I mean, I, I have never played a game where you've lost a sword. You know, I mean, I understand there's rust monsters and stuff like that, but I've never played a game where the DM says you have to make a a save so your sword doesn't break. I have had that happen before, especially when acid was involved. Um, I think another one I've seen was uh, if there was one game I played where if you rolled a one, they used a deck of cards to determine what happened and my character lost her arm and that was kind of extreme <laughs> what about you kyle um man you know it's it's a lot of those flavor elements that are kind of kind of like you're talking with keeping track of ammunition i think um encumbrance is one of those that i really hate having but it makes sense so <laughs> I don't find it too hard. Um, the game has natural weight restrictions. I mean, if you're playing it like a, a real-world physics uh, element. Um, <clears throat> the other thing that we do, uh, well, we will be doing when we start after the new year, is... Um, so for critical fails, uh, or if... Uh, if Sorry, not for critical fails, but if uh, an enemy or an NPC critical hits on you, and after so many critical hits against you, uh, your armor slowly wears out and your AC slowly drops uh, until you get new armor. That's an interesting um, so way to put it. Yeah, so that's going to be an element in our game that's probably not going to... It's definitely a homebrew. Um, but kind of along the same lines of, like, you know, your weapon may not shatter, per se, but, like, so on a critical fail for you as a player, that might be an option over time. Or if you're swinging at an enemy and you hit the ground, and it has a real effect on the weapon. <clears throat> yeah. And in the game, I'm actually playing on, uh, i actually be playing later on today. Uh, we have uh, kind of a homebrew rule where uh, they're called lingering effects, where if you are brought down to zero uh, hit points and then brought back up, if you have one or more failed death saving throws, uh, when you are brought back to 
to health or brought back up to one hit point, you actually roll a percentile dice on a what they call lingering effect table as to you could have uh, ringing in your ears for the rest of the game, for the rest of the game time, or you could have, you know, your intelligence go down. It just all depends on what the critical role was. That's really interesting. Um, there are a couple of them that I've used or had in my games that I thought were interesting. Uh, I, I personally like having to keep track of rations because it adds a sense of realism to the world. Um, especially if you are out and about in a forest and with your party members and I only time I track weight with encumbrances if you're like a halfling you're not going to be carrying 10 rations and 10 water skins that's a little too much for you to carry um, so there is limitations on that that I, I will enforce but usually it's just if it's makes sense then it's fine um, I do know that there are some people who like to steal a lot of stuff and want to take like all four treasure chests and each chest weighs like 100 pounds and it's like, look, you can't do that. That's not feasible. Um, but I like that like there's the option to not make weight for coins count against you and stuff like that on D&D Beyond. But I think that it adds some sort of realism and I have seen games where that realism might be might come up later as well. Um, now, another important question that's asked in the session zero is the type of game. So mostly, D&D tends to be fantasy, and that's fine, but that's not all D&D has out there. So there is, there are some extra books out there that aren't necessarily Wizard of the Coast, that allow you to go sci-fi or post-apocalyptic or modern. Um, there's a D20 system uh, book series with all that. But there's other, other than just that type of game, you have extreme survival or horror or anything along those lines, um, political. What's your favorite genre or type of game that you've played or would be, would be interested in playing? I myself would actually be interested in playing uh, uh, a Star Wars sort of sci-fi-ish game. I've actually seen a D20 system for the Star Wars and back in the 90s, back when I was just getting started in some of the different things from D&D, I saw that they had a system for that and it looked really interesting to me. and that's a that's a hard one for me i've personally I, i'm pretty new at D D myself um i guess comparatively so I, I don't really have experience with a lot of the other systems but for what i have run i've only ever run homebrew um so that's just i've only ever known kind of the creativity of the dm who's running with yeah, I, I really couldn't speak to that per personally. I personally love the uh, post-apocalyptic fantasy setting. In my Monday game, I am creating a world that is in a 300-year war between gods, and it's post-apocalyptic in the sense that the world is ultimately changed because of these battles, but there isn't any sci-fi aspects to it or technology based it's still fantasy it's just a different type of fantasy um, I do have a place in my heart always for sci-fi and post-apocalyptic games which is one of the reasons why Shadowrun is like one of my favorite systems um, but in fifth edition we usually just go fantasy with all the games that I've played that's why I wanted to try a more serious apocalyptic style version myself yeah that's one thing I've never done is the horror series or a uh, uh, post apocalyptic series uh, I wouldn't mind trying it but I don't I don't 
foresee it being for me. Well, I have room for one more on my Monday game if you're interested in trying it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've seen a couple play kind of Lovecraftian style horror. And those always, like, I know there's Call of Cthulhu, but um, I don't know. There's definitely a draw for that, but I've never played it myself. Um, in one of the games, when we took a break from our Thursday game because of schedule conflicts, we started a, a Lovecraftian one where my best friend was DMing it, and we have two different characters. We have our real-life characters, which was using um, Monster of the Week, which is more of a um, real-life realism type gameplay. And then in, a, in the dream world, we were in the Lovecraftian world, and we became D&D characters, where I was a warlock. Um, and that was really interesting to see how the real-life stipulations affected the dream world stipulations. And the different times and stuff like that and it is more horror based but we haven't got to that point quite yet where it's like actually terrifying but she's basing it off of actual stories by hp lovecraft and each set of quests will be based off one of the stories with the end goal being one of the big bad guys and it's actually really interesting um it plays off fantasy but then we go into the real world where we're in the 1920s and we have to do our research and find out stuff in the real world and then we go back to our dream world and work together again as a team sounds very interesting yeah, that sounds very cool now the other thing on session zeros that's discussed is you just you you describe your character and you describe who you are and what you want to do so i'm going to be the fighter i'm going to be the cleric but you also discuss how you know each other as a team and why you work together as a team. Now, I've noticed personally that this helps significantly with character uh, building with parties to explain why the heck are we even together? Um, now, what happens though if one player makes a character that's a hermit or that is a loner and doesn't really is only there out of obligation why is teamwork so important for these types of games like it seems obvious to us if we've been playing for a while but for a new person why should you make someone who might work together as a team i think teamwork is almost a i mean it, it is a must in a D, &D style game because, I mean, if you're a loner and you're always trying to focus on being alone or not, not being involved, it, it doesn't really work. I mean, it puts you out of the game almost. It also puts you yeah. at a lot of risk. You're risking of dying if you separate from the party. Yeah. I mean, every, ta every time you go off, every time you go off alone, it's you know, the party will never see you again. Or the party may never see you again. Well, and I think uh, not enough people know that, you know, if you wanted to play where you're just a solo character, if you find the right DM, that is an option. Where it's just you and the DM, and you do your own campaigns. But if you're playing with a group, then I think it's just a given. It's like any other game. I mean, if you're going to play with other people... So, if you were DMing a game that a party member in particular decided to go off on their own all the time and never participate in the party, would you punish the player in some way, or would you just go off with the other characters and let them do their things, or would you split your attention between the two even though that's not necessarily fair to you and that's not what you want to do? Well, I think the most important thing uh, has to happen at your session zero as a DM. I think that it needs to be put out whether or not death is a reality that could happen. And what happens when you go out on your own? <clears throat> I know for my games, 
I make it very clear from the onset that to traverse alone is the most dangerous thing you can do. And if something happens where the dice kills you, I'm not like, especially if you're on your own. Um, so that's a risk that they take full well that it's a risk. And I agree with that. I mean, you know, if if a character is always going out on their own, always trying to separate from the party, you know, death is is a reality that they're going to have to face. And I mean, once it happens, it just happens. But at the same time, I don't think you should railroad that character into trying to come back. I think you should give them options to come back but at the same time just keep giving them that nudge that death is an occurrence that will happen now another question about kind of splitting off the party but like making stupid decisions is that something that should be discussed in a session zero like saying look if you do something stupid you could be punished for it you could you could be killed, you could have consequences for your actions, or should that be assumed? I mean, I I believe it should be mentioned, but not a full, drawn-out conversation of what every occurrence would have as a uh, a consequence, but I think it there should be some discussion to it, and there, at the same time, there is a you know, almost a given that if you split up the party, something bad's going to happen. What about if, um, what about player decided consequences? So, hypothetically, let's say you have a rogue in the party who murder hobos somebody behind the rest of the team's back, and the team finds out. Um, what if the team reacts with we don't want you in our party anymore because you're clearly evil that's not necessarily going to be something that you discuss in session zero but it might come up later in the game especially if you don't feel comfortable with that player in your group anymore i think it it depends on whether or not they go with the evil alignment on the onset or if they turn into it down the road um because I think there's a lot of players out there, some at least, who want to do the the evil thing, but the rest of them, um, I think at session zero, that's an important point to bring up of, like, there's nothing connecting you to the party where you're all going to get along if one is evil and the rest are good. And by the same token, I think it should be said at session zero that if you slowly descend into the evil territory, you know, what is the option as a group? You know, if they decide to kick you out, you know, let it be known whether or not you're going to enforce it or or how that's going to go about. That's true. Um, so you also worry about, at Session Zero, like connections with other players, and those connections can be anything from, this is my best friend, this person saved me, Um, I met this person randomly on the street and gave them a piece of bread. Um, Those connections help build character depth and growth. How has... uh, Have those connections ever helped you with your characters in the game? And helped you, like, fully understand why you were all working together as a team? Uh, I think so. I mean, in my current uh saturday night game uh me and a character have uh uh, another player character have bonded because he actually saved me from being imprisoned in a uh sort of uh, semi-hell and we have bonded over that and for a year-long journey through the whole thing, we've bonded, we've helped each other, we've become almost best friends. But at the same time, it's just been us two. So now, at the start, that was our session zero, was that whole year-long journey, was we 
discussed it and stuff like that. But then now that we're getting to our session one, where we're actually meeting the other characters, now we have to figure out how to bond with them. So that brings up an interesting point. Um, Critical Role did that too, where they had their first campaign of campaign two, they had groups of people who knew each other, but then they merged from three groups into one. How do you work that out after session zero, where you might not necessarily trust or agree with some of those characters, and it wasn't discussed in session zero? So for the game that I'm getting ready to run, uh, we actually tried to different, uh, and our situation is going to be a little different, but I think it would apply the same way where, um, so our session zero was actually text-based over discord where I laid out how everything was going to work and everyone was able to kind of brainstorm their characters. But then I worked with them one on over Discord, and each player we would actually bring in one at a time, uh, in real life. And I ran a one shot with them. Um, so just for context, um, the first time the players will all be at the same place is on a ship. And the uniting factor <clears throat> is going to be the ship capsizing and them having to do skill feats to make it to shore. Uh, and then the land that they're going to be on together is going to be extremely, extremely hostile. And so they're going to have to like survive together after surviving a shipwreck. Uh, before we even get to that point, everyone is doing a one-shot with me where uh it brief elements them growing up or going through a situation um leading up to them getting on the same boat <clears throat> and then at the end of that one shot oh, excuse me. <clears throat> at the end of that one shot they actually will have the chance to level up before they get with everybody else. So can't uh, session one, everyone's actually level two because they've had a chance to play their character already independently. And then oh, they're kind of stranded there. So they're gonna have to figure out how to build those bonds while they're trying to survive a very hostile environment. That's an interesting take on it. Um, when you start a campaign with your session zero, should you only do it if you're starting at level one, or do you guys think you should do it even at higher levels and say that you've been working together as a team or that you're being thrust into this group together at like level five or level 10? Like I said before, I believe a session zero, no matter what level you're starting at, is is almost a must. Because you need to understand how your party's going to interact, whether or not your party's been together the entire time, from level one to five, and you guys just are now creating a level five character. You need to know how your party's going to interact with each other. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think for me, the difference is whether you're doing a one-shot versus a multi-session campaign. Uh, for one-shots, I wouldn't worry about it too much because, I mean, that is not going to matter so much. I think for anything that's going to require a lot of time, yeah, a, a, a session is absolutely vital.
I just realized I was muted the entire time. Um, so you want to make sure that you are understanding how experience is going to be earned in milestones um, and player behavior. So some player behavior are, is alcohol allowed at your table? Now, when you're playing with kids, obviously that's an obvious answer, but when you're playing with full-grown adults, are you going to allow people to drink at the table? Does it make it more fun for you or does it take away from the, the gameplay? Um, are cell phones allowed? Now, some people believe purely in pen and paper or pencil and paper, but with D&D Beyond, so many people use cell phones now, but it's a constant distraction. So there are people who aren't able to pay attention. Um, go ahead. I'm, I'm just a, I'm a pencil and paper guy. I mean, yeah, I'll create my characters online, but uh, I use uh, apps that I can, I'm able to print from, so I can print out my character sheet. But at the same time, I'm, I'm a pencil and paper guy. I like, I like having my notes right there. Um, I prefer paper and pencil too, uh, though I know that some people prefer D&D Beyond or like apps. Um, now one of the biggest issues that I've seen is, well, there's two, um, player attention and disruptions. So how do you handle that in a session zero when you're discussing I need you to pay attention to the game when some of that's kind of common courtesy and obvious versus I know you guys haven't seen each other all week, but can you not have top conversations in the middle of our gameplay? Uh, on our Friday night games, I like it where, you know, we come in and we start, you know, seven o'clock, but we have that half hour where we can talk, discuss, joke around, do whatever. But once you jump into the game, I believe your your attention should be on the game. Uh, I, I just don't like, uh, you know, like you said, when they're on D&D Beyond, you, you don't know what they're on. They could be on other websites or not paying attention to the game. But I believe if you're at the table playing the game, you should be heads up focused on that i think it really depends on the group i know for me personally as long as everyone is following what's happening and they're not being a disruption i'm not going to worry about it too much um and if it's our if, <laughs> if every time it's their turn and they get a, oh what's happening then yeah i i would definitely start to say something at that point Are there any other things that you think should be mentioned during a session zero besides what we've discussed? Metagaming. Metagaming is very bad. That's definitely one. Um, for those who don't know, metagaming is where you use out of player, not out of character knowledge to have your character make a decision. Um, things can include knowing the vulnerabilities of monsters that your character has never faced or um, knowing of rooms that have hidden doors because they're on the map even though your character hasn't found the secret door stuff like that what um, since we're on the topic what uh, metagaming instances have you ran into that you were just like come on really i've i've ran into to people who i mean obviously you're having conversations through everybody on the party but you know there's times where you do split the party and you have separate conversations and then all of a sudden oh how does that character know that knowledge well, I listened to the conversation. Well, you weren't there, so you wouldn't know that. But they're still making decisions based on information that they weren't there to get. I retroactively eavesdropped. Yeah. 
I think the hard one too is during like combat where a party needs to get spread out <clears throat> and you may not have eyes and ears on the entire party but you're listening to everyone's roles and what's happening and so like you know if you're a cleric and one of your party members goes down but they're in a completely different part of the battlefield you know it'd be really hard for the cleric not to be like oh, i'm gonna run over and save them like well you don't even know they're down yet <laughs> i mean things like that i think get pretty difficult now, to what extreme do you consider it metagaming? Um, some people consider it metagaming when you tell your HP. If you say, I have 12 hit points left, I have two hit points left, some people consider that metagaming because that's something only your character knows. Um, you could play it out where on your turn you say, I'm really hurt, guys. Can you somebody come help me? But there's other times where it's metagaming if you even tell somebody what they should do hey I'm gonna go shoot a fireball don't run up over there and you're not in character so to what extreme should it be allowed or not allowed I would say you know oh go ahead Uh, no go ahead I was gonna say I I would say that there there is always some level of metagaming whether or not you you believe it or not i believe there is and like with the whole thing where you know if somebody's going to shoot a fireball and they tell people not to run up there as long as they're saying that in character i believe that should be allowed on their turn but not if it's on the player who's about to run up there's turn you know I will say always defer to your DM. That's fair. Um, I know that some DMs are a lot stricter when it comes to that. Um, I have a friend who is very strict about metagaming and will kick you out of the group if you metagame. And I have other friends who will allow you to discuss plans before the like when the fight starts so you have some time to think about okay this is what we're going to do this is how to best handle it even though that's technically metagaming because you don't know how the other people are thinking and you have like a six second window to have this 20 minute conversation um i personally don't like metagaming when it comes to Telling other people what to do with their characters if their character doesn't know that or taking knowledge that your character wouldn't know so for example I've had a player before who wasn't in the room when somebody found a really cool magic object and the person put it in their backpack and didn't tell the others yet and the player was like hey what you got there and I'm like you're not in the room he's like oh I go to the room hey what you find you don't know that he found anything, his hands are empty. And then he repeatedly asked for the, like, the next 20 minutes what he found and like said he's going to search him. And like that to me is metagaming to the extreme because it's like you have no reason to be untrustworthy. Um, another instance that I've seen is where somebody will roll an insight check against somebody who lied and fail. So they believe them, but still treat them as untrustworthy. Um, so do you talk about that on your session zero, or do you just hope it doesn't come up and talk about it when it does? Well, I was actually going to bring that up too. Um, I don't know your guys' preferences, but like, so if you roll a PC that has a low intelligence score, but yet that the player running them is the one giving all the the battle plans or the social constructs that differ all the social content do you guys consider that metagaming is that on the same level say that one more time or are you just saying like you know if the character is not that that bright but the player is is giving all the the battle plans. Do you think that's meta gaming? Is that what I'm hearing? Right. Yeah. Do you guys consider that meta? 
I don't. I wouldn't really consider that metagaming. I mean, it all depends on how low their their score is. But at the same time, anybody can come up with a plan. I think it depends on how they share the plan. Um, I've seen where you can have an intelligence of six, and there is a puzzle, and somebody says, "It looks like an eight, and like that was, or it looks like an octopus." And it was said in a way that like somebody with a low intelligence would recognize it. And then everybody else is like, oh, my God, it does look like an octopus. And then that led to some saves and some checks. And they're like, they realize it was related to a religion with octopus or whatever. Um, so you can I think you can do it. I think there is an extent if it's like a super tough challenge, um, you can. S- I think it's fine if you're talking amongst each other for a plan but once you're in the in the battle i think that's where it should stop like once it starts make your plans discuss it out but once a player makes a decision my issue is when they tell them to not make that decision no no no, don't do that because blah 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 it's like no they need to learn if they want to cast fireball on the cornfield let them cast fireball on the cornfield they'll learn the hard way that that was probably a bad idea Now, when you're starting your game, if you're DMing or a player, let's say hypothetically that they say this is a political campaign and you're looking for more of a murder hobo style game. How do you make all your characters happy where you provide the politics that one person wants, the role play that another person wants, but the murder hobo habits that the third player wants? Is that something that should be discussed ahead of time or is that something that someone who wants to murder hobo and this is more RP should probably look for a new group I I definitely think it should be discussed but I don't think you're going to be able to make everybody happy every game Um, and I think too it depends on the group that you're with Um, I think if you're running with a group of close-knit friends versus like an adventure league at your local store um i think if you're doing a more intimate session with people that you know and have a relationship with find ways to include everybody in their style but i think if you're just trying to run an adventure league or something like i would hold pretty firm to if i was dming like this is how we're gonna run it and if you're looking for something else like, you're going to have to probably keep looking. That's definitely fair. Um, I know in, I know in like, smaller areas it's hard because you feel obligated to bring somebody in sometimes when you're, like, desperate for players. And then you have them, like, I've added people to my groups when I played at a store because I didn't want anybody to feel left out. And then I regretted that decision within the first session. Um, so after your session zero is done and you start your game and everything is great and hunky-dory, what do you do, though, if somebody starts to break those agreements that you made or change the way that they play their character or, or do stuff that they weren't originally doing that ruined the games for others? I will say that in these kinds of situations, people play for the experience. I mean, if they just wanted to kill things, they could play video games for that. Like, they're playing this for an experience with other people. The longer you let the player who's challenging things have their way, the more that experience is going to stick negatively with everybody else. Always, always, always confront as soon as, even if it's just <clears throat> one-on-one with a person, just to be like, hey, like this is what we agreed. You're kind of taking things left field a little bit. <clears throat> and then if it continues to happen, I mean, it definitely needs to be something that's addressed privately. And if them finding a new group has to happen, like I would definitely enforce it.
James. I mean, I, I agree with him that, you know, if you've sat down and agreed to a certain style of play and all of a sudden you got a player trying to take it into left field, you got to remind them that, you know, they agreed to this. If they need to find a new group, they're going to need to find a new group. But you just got to remind them that they agreed to the the current play style. The timing, too. Like, it needs to happen quickly. You don't want to let it draw out where they get more entrenched in the game. Now, is there anything else you think that needs to be mentioned about a session zero that we haven't discussed? Um, anything that you've noticed in your own session zeros or that you wish that you would include going further? I would say when you when if we go back to you know like character building you got to make sure that everybody's on the same page with uh where they want to be in character creation and a lot of people don't agree with how attributes or yeah attributes are done so i've had people where they want to roll or use standard array and or point by or something like that and everybody has to be on the same page with that personally i like rolling yeah i i, th I think rolling gives you the best the best uh what is it spread of uh highs and lows i like the randomness of it Yeah, I think for me, uh, <laughs> the bane of every DM out there, uh, I think you need to talk about scheduling. I think that's the bane of not just every DM, but everybody. Because it, it, it almost seems like not everybody can meet at the same time. And even when you do set down a time, you always get that one player that drops out at the very last second. So with that in mind, what do you do if somebody keeps missing the game? Like, they want to play, but something happens to come up every single week over and over again. Do you ultimately ask them if they want to leave or just assume that they're gone? I would never assume they're gone. I would say, you know, what's keeping you from coming? If it's a, a personal issue, see if there's no way to resolve it. If it's, you know, a work-related issue, maybe... Maybe they do need to exit the game, at least for a little bit. I mean, not, not necessarily kick them completely out of the game, but maybe put their character off to the side for a little bit until things can get resolved. So kind of like how they handled Yasha in the yeah. second season? Well, yeah, and, even, and even how when Laura had her baby, you know, I think it was a very intuitive way to to give them the opportunity to have the baby plus when ashley johnson left um to have it be uh, a situation where they were kidnapped or things like that was a great way to give them an opportunity to step out for a bit um but i think there's also a campaign and the characters established already i wouldn't see a problem either if everyone was comfortable with it of having one of the other players on it instead. If it was just going to be like a one or two session thing where they weren't going to be there, but they would for sure be back. Um, I would make everyone was comfortable. But not if it was a habitual thing. Well, what happens if um, a player dies under the hands of someone else's like, you have to make sure that if you do that, you just have to make sure the player knows, look, there's still a risk of you dying. They're going to be treating it just like their own character. But even though you're not here, if your character is being played, there is a chance of death. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, there's there's always a risk of death. 
whether it's you playing the character or somebody else. I mean, other than that, that's pretty much what Session Zeros are about. It's just discussing with your group and getting to know each other, understanding, hey, this is what the rules are, what what we want, our pet peeves, our irritations, things that you want to avoid and don't want to avoid, what you should expect. And it seems like a lot when shoved into an hour, um, but it's to help make sure that the group works together as a team otherwise you're going to run into situations where you're like why are we here like why is my character working with any of you the end goal doesn't match and sometimes the whole reason why you're there is because you might hate every other player but your end goal is the same and in character you hate every other player not out of character um but the biggest thing is to know what is your reason for being there and why are you working together as a team and remembering you are a team through the entire situation if a character starts making dumb decisions that risk puts your party at risk perhaps it's time for your party to make a decision in character on what to do about the one making those decisions but that's how your character would react um if you haven't tried a session zero i highly recommend it uh, there's plenty of links online and all over the place if you just Google D&D Session Zero that explain all the things that you need to know. And I think it makes for a better gameplay experience overall. Any parting words before I close out? Yeah, that's good. That was it for me. Alright, well, this is a little shorter of an episode, but thank you guys for joining us at Beholder to No One. Thanks, James and Kyle, for joining me today, and I hope to see y'all guys in the next episode. Bye!